Okay. She probably let everybody else But that's the only way I'll get close to her. <laughs> well, uh, this is this is the uh, workshop on uh, sex and marriage. Is are y'all at the right place? <laughs> Okay, for the single guys, the, the name of this class is No Sex in Marriage. <laughs> now, this is, um, this is workplace evangelism, and uh, my purpose is to really get us involved in a discussion, uh, and I want to take us through the following issues. Uh, and I just throw these out for you to think about. Um, first is the issue of success in evangelism. All right, success in I N evangelism. Because oh, okay, thank you. Well, I'm hooked up to this, so I can't. I can't. How many of you have ever, whether in the workplace or in a social setting, attempted to share the gospel in some meaningful way? Not necessarily the four spiritual laws, and not, you know, but you, you really were trying to introduce the person to Jesus Christ. And their reaction was, was negative from... Uh, strongly negative and not just not the kind that says well you know that's that's good for you but you know I'm not there yet I mean it was negative <laughs> who's ever happened okay uh, Dave share your experience would you please yeah um, it's, I, I work in an office uh, have nine engineers in there and uh, some past people and a secretary I've uh, one particular guy. What I make a habit of backtracking. What I make a habit of doing is inviting guys to lunch, and we have a nice park downtown where we can go to lunch and uh, and sit and talk. And um, this particular young man, for whatever reason, as soon as you know, talk, and as we as we had the conversation, and I got around to asking him a few of those spiritual temperature taking questions, and then brought up who is Jesus Christ to you? Get on. I said I don't want to hear about Jesus. I try to, I know what you believe. In. I don't want to hear about it. Okay. I didn't push him anymore about that. Subsequently, we've had some other conversations up. Hmm. But that he was he was adamant that he didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. By, the, by the way, that's few and far between for me. Usually people are willing to talk. Good. Thank you. Tell me your name because your name... You're Dave. You're Dave, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Dave. I'm here because I... Not too effective at doing this. I'm here to learn it's tough for me to do this, but there was a guy that I know at work who uh, almost died because of uh, colon cancer. Wow. And he and I had lunch, and I tried to bring up this issue about what would have happened if he hadn't made it, and he said, well, he didn't have it because of works and things like that. He's a good guy, and he tries to, tries to do what's right. And then we were happy, involved in a Bible study once in morning, so I tried to get him to see if he was interested in going to that. He was adamant, no, no Bible study. So then I been there and tried that with him, and I didn't want to push it. I just wanted to keep talking to him about other things, so I kind of got off the subject and went elsewhere. Because okay. I didn't want to make him think that was the only reason. Right. That he taken the lunch. Good. 
good day, good experience. Anybody else have one of those they'd like to share? Jeff. I do a lot of work when I'm at school trying to do some evangelism there. And uh, I count that as work. I'm there a lot <laughs> during the week. And it's a lot of studying, so I count it as work. And uh, I was, we were just going around talking about different stuff, and I, I, I decided that it was time for me to talk to this one person about what I believe in. And they knew sort of kind of what I do in, in the background. And, and uh, I started talking to them, and she, and she just immediately just, I mean, put the brakes on, the red flags came up, and the sirens says, oh, I don't even want to hear you talk about Jesus. I don't want to hear his name. I don't want to hear about going to church. I don't want to, you know, and this just, I mean, mm -hmm. almost like she was possessed in front of me or something, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do exactly. So um, I haven't been able to speak to this person since, and it's mm -hmm. kind of weird, you know. They're in my class every day that I see, so it's really strange, and I didn't know how to bounce back from that at all. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I had a negative Roger. experience a few years ago that really kind of transformed me. Mm. This was prior to, this was during the years I was preparing to be a pastor, I was working on a chicken farm. And, uh, oh, the three-legged chicken yeah. farm. <laughs> <laughs> What's your first name again? Tom. Tom. Thanks for sharing that, Tom. Um, let me tell you, that openness is one of the first steps. You know, just to, just to talk about it. Let me um, just lay out some things for your consideration. Two words that do not go together. Successful evangelism. Okay? Successful evangelism. Uh, and I'm saying that for the following reasons. Paul wrote, goodness, you know, I got Halfheimers. I'm not all the way there, but I'm not Alzheimer's, but I'm halfway there. Uh, and uh, 
uh, who, who's the other uh, person who was ministering and Paul came and he said thank you jeez um, the only my, the only name that came to my mind with an A was Anus and that was that was that was the high priest one of the high priests that confronted Peter and John after when they healed the uh, man at the gate called Beautiful um, he, uh, Paul Paul said uh, Paul plants Apollos waters but God gives the increase so you never know where you fit in on a person's conversion you don't know it, whether you're the planter whether you're the waterer or you happen to be the person who is in the spot where they see the bloom and you don't do the blooming God does it, but you can deceive yourself into thinking, man, I'm pretty effective at this. Well, no, there's a whole history of things that have gone on. And so point number one, we don't know where we are. And God never tells us anywhere in the scripture to evaluate our performance when it comes to witnessing. He tells us to do what? Witness. I mean, the Nike commercial is straight from scripture. Just do it. And, and you, let, you leave the consequences to God. And whenever, so that's point number one. Do not worry about the success of your evangelism. That's in God's hands. You do not know how he will sovereignly work that out in your person's life. Rule number one. Rule number two. You can never determine the efficacy of your effort by the person's reaction. I can't tell you how many times people witnessed to me because I was a nice guy. I ought to seem like I ought to be a Christian because I was a nice guy. I didn't want to hear any of that stuff. And I, we had a friend, and we support them now as missionaries in South Africa. They witnessed to us year after year, and it went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know all that stuff. We, we don't know uh, by a person's reaction. The Spirit may be working on them so profoundly. And what you see is anger or sullenness or disinterest. Or maybe they change the subject, but you don't know. Oh, there's this wonderful, oh, I am so sorry, I don't remember this verse offhand. But I'm going to tell you about it, and then you go look it up. I can tell you it's either First Kings, uh, when they're building the Temple of Solomon. And it says, in effect, that all the work of cutting the stones and hewing the timbers was done far away from the temple site. The temple site was quiet. All the work of the cutting and the hewing and the sawing, all the noise was done someplace else and the temple was being quietly built. And so it is with God building his church. We don't, we don't see it because things are so quiet. But elsewhere, I mean, there's cutting and hewing and witnessing and screaming and rejection and all of that. But God is building his temple quietly. We don't see it because it seems, it seems like all the work is being done off-site. 
And I think that's an image for us to encourage us that we don't see it and we don't hear it because all the work is happening someplace else. But God is building his temple. Okay? Uh, and that's in 1 Kings. Or is it 2 Kings? I know it's Kings. Okay? And it's a single chapter. It's not a double digit chapter like 11. It's like 9 or something like that. Um, so rule number one is you don't, you don't know where you fit on the continuum. Rule number two is you can't tell the efficacy of your witness from the person's reaction. Now obviously if the person says, yes, I come to Christ. Well, you still don't conclude that you were effective, but only that the Holy this, that this was the time for the Holy Spirit to flood revelation into this person's mind. You with me? Any questions about those two so far? Okay. The third one is, and this is the most difficult for me, I don't know about for you, there is no formula. You know, you can go to as many how-to, and there's nothing wrong with those except if you begin to think that that is the way to do it. And, and that, by that I mean, that how-to class is the only way to do it. So maybe in the how-to class they say you perform a relationship, you invite the person over to your house, you never mention anything about Jesus, you get involved in their life, and then when some tragedy erupts, then you ask a you know, on and on. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is just one way out of the millions of approaches the Holy Spirit can devise at any one time. Because the Holy Spirit may prompt you out of the blue to say something to somebody, well, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but where do you stand with Jesus? And you would ordinarily think, I would never have to, I haven't built up a relationship. I'm a stranger to this, you know, I haven't built up any credibility. But yet the Spirit, you don't know what has gone before. And so if you get a prompting from the Spirit of God, well, how do you know? That's the question. How do you know it's from the Spirit of God? Well, because we walk by faith, I don't know about you, but I always come back to this. There is no sign that a person wears that says, I am now ready to be witnessed to. <laughs> now, it would be, it would be um, so much easier if when the person was ready God would simply turn their noses blue. So you know on a bus, if you see a blue nose, bam! That's the person you go to. Well, but it doesn't work like that. So, um, tell you the story of a friend of mine who was a um, white Christian witnessing in a jail where the inmates were predominantly minority. And there was young, one young black man in there who heckled this minister, this young, and he wasn't a minister, he was a lay person and it was part of his prison ministry. <laughs> and this young black guy heckled him mercilessly and he kept moving closer and closer and closer until, and this, you know, the white guy's moving back just a little bit, not obviously so, but he's getting nervous. This guy might jump him because the guy was just getting ugly about it. Sat down right there in front. And the next thing you know, he breaks down and starts crying. And he receives Jesus Christ. 
it, it, the, the white guy was telling me, he said, you know, it took a while for him to realize what was happening and to be able to respond to the guy because he was so shocked. <clears throat> so, um, now, here's a challenge for you. Here's a challenge for you. Most of us only witness to people who look like us. That's not a criticism. That is just the way we are. But let me tell you, God moves powerfully in cross-cultural evangelism. It is a risk to go to a member of another people group, Native American, Hispanic, African American, white, whatever, and share with them the gospel of Christ. It will immediately put you in a vulnerable state. And maybe that's why cross-cultural evangelism seems at times to have so much power. Why are you, a white person, talking to me about Jesus? I said, well, well, you got a lot of nerve. Your parents were probably slave owners. Well, what would the spirit prompt you to say? Will you back off or, or, or will you just say, will you quietly say, God, what do I say? Let me tell you about Hester, Hester Veldsman. Uh, I love this woman. This woman is like the Mother Teresa of South Africa. She's a mother, has two sons, and uh, she's an Afrikaans. Okay, they are the Dutch people who instituted apartheid in the uh, late 50s. Uh, but she has such a heart for Jesus. She has a ministry, she lives in uh, right outside of Cape Town, which is right at the southern tip of South Africa. And Bekwaini is a, a black township, which, I mean, I mean it, they're, they're not even shacks. They're basically corrugated iron with, uh, sometimes they have cardboard roofs, sometimes they don't. No plumbing, no electricity. And she ministers in these black townships. And uh, the children all call her, I forget, I forget the, uh, the, the word in their language, but it means mother of hope. And when her van drives through Bekwaini. All the little kids say, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. You know all she does is she loves them. She, she loves them. She sets up um, daycare centers in there and they, she just loves them. And she said that God put a love for black people in her heart. And she will go up to uh, people who are immediately suspicious of her because she's Afrikaans. And she will go up and she will say, with this beautiful accent, and she's not attractive. I mean, she's kind of a frumpy housewife. I mean, if you look at it, it she, in other words, I'm not saying her appearance is such that people would want to, would be especially drawn to her. Like Jesus, it describes, you know, his appearance was not such that we would find him comely. And she will go and she'll say, I want you to forgive me, please, for apartheid. I am so sorry. It was such a terrible sin. Would you please forgive me? And they are, com they are completely disarmed. Now, she doesn't have to say that to the children because she just shows them love and vroom. But to adults, when she says that, I don't care how bitter they are, they just seem to melt. When they have riots in Bekwaini, the police call her in to quell them. 
the police are afraid to go in. And let me tell you, some of the police are African. <laughs> you understand? It's now an African government, a black African government. Well, her witness is simply to love the people. Okay? And, and she does it cross-culturally. And so, while at the same time it makes it more difficult, it also gives her more credibility because of her vulnerability. And I tell you, sometimes I have more seeming effect ministering to whites or Hispanics than I do to African Americans. Not all the times, sometimes. But I'm just telling you that there is a certain power to cross-cultural ministry that God especially, I mean, he's, he's behind all ministry. Turn with me for just a quick moment to Genesis uh, 12. I want to tell you this just to encourage you. You've all probably run across this passage before. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, which is Canaan. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. Now hop down to verse 3. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 6. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now if I can find this other verse... Turn with me to, I hadn't planned to talk on this, so forgive me if I'm running around. Verse 48. Ah, turn to Genesis 48. 48. A 48. This is Jacob, one of the twin sons of Isaac whose name was changed to Israel after he had an encounter with God. And the name Israel means one who is victorious with God, or one who overcomes with God. He's about, they are now in Egypt. His second youngest son, Joseph, is the second in command in Egypt. And Jacob is on his deathbed. His sons are around, and he is about to pass on a blessing. And he says uh, in verse 3, Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now in a, some translations that word peoples is in the singular. The Hebrew is in the plural. And, if, and the proper word here is people groups. So if I were to read this more literally in the Hebrew it would say I will make you a multitude of people groups. Now that is the same promise. All he's doing, God has repeated the promise he gave to Abraham. 
I, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, when Jacob entered Israel with his family, they were somewhere between 70 and 100 people. 66 men, and then Joseph and his two sons counted 70. They didn't count the, the women. Okay? When they go in, Israel does not exist as a nation. It is simply a family. You understand? Fleeing the drought in Canaan, setting up in Goshen. Now turn for a moment to Exodus 12. Moses has confronted Pharaoh about the enslavement of the Hebrew people. God has challenged all the gods of Egypt. The gods of Egypt were ranked in hierarchical fashion. From the gods of the water, to the gods of the earth, to the gods of the air, to the gods of the heaven, which was sun. Okay? And if you notice in the hierarchy, God starts at the bottom, turns the water to blood, have the frogs come out of the water, into the gods of the earth, into the air, and every one of these gods is challenged. And all of these plagues or catastrophes hit in every place in Egypt except in Goshen where the Hebrew people live. So as an example, when the top god is Ra, sun god, of whom Pharaoh is the living representative, okay? It is completely dark all over Egypt. Not only is there no sun, there are no stars visible, there's no moon visible, and if you strike flint, you can't even get a spark. There was absolutely no light except in Goshen. They could strike flint, they could have candles. So in every time a plague hits you, if you go through Exodus 9, 10, 11, and 12, you'll see this phrase, except in Goshen, but not in Goshen. So Egypt is... <clears throat> Egypt is the leading power of the world at that time. And just like in the United States, why do foreigners come to the United States? Tell me some reasons. Freedom. Freedom? What else? Higher standard. Higher standard of living? What else? Prosperity. Prosperity? What else? Freedom. Freedom? What else? Just think. Materialism. Materialism. What else? Opportunity. Opportunity. Oh. We could go on with the reasons they come, right? From all over the world. In San Diego, for example, in our little county, we have 40 different languages spoken in our public schools. 40. We have the largest group of Sudanese outside of Sudan. We have the largest group of Somalis outside of Somalia. We have the largest group of Vietnamese outside of Vietnam, except for maybe area around Washington, D.C. We have the largest group of Hmong outside of the... Um, uh, Vietnam area because they don't just live in Vietnam outside of that Asian area right there in San Diego well same with Egypt same with Egypt so you hear all these people who come to Egypt for a better education freedom, economic prosperity better opportunity, whatever and they are catching all the hell that the Egyptians catch and time after time they see everything happening except where in Goshen where the Hebrews live and so if you look with me at Exodus 12, <clears throat> verse 37, 
It says, Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot, not counting the children. And a mixed multitude also went up with them. Now here is a family of 70 plus going into a foreign land. God builds Israel as a nation in the womb of a foreign country. Do you understand that? Not in the promised land, in Canaan, but in Egypt. So that they would learn what it was like to be slaves, to be foreigners in a strange land, to be different, you understand? They were forced to be in an area of cross-cultural evangelism. And then when they leave, there are all these people who say, we want your God. Because remember, they have just seen all the gods of Egypt systematically destroyed. And this is particularly powerful because it's a time when people believed that, that gods were territorial. So that the gods of Egypt had supreme power within the borders of Egypt. But as they ventured from those borders, their powers weakened. So here is the God of the Hebrews coming right into the heart of Egypt, destroying all the gods. So these people, it's not a rocket scientist to decide, do I stay in Egypt, which has been utterly destroyed, and their gods shown to be effective, or do I go with the Hebrew people? So you have this incredible diversity of people leap, I mean, there must have been, we know hundreds of thousands of black Africans who left Egypt with the Hebrews. The power of cross-cultural evangelism. And this is part of God's promise to Abraham. I will, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He says to Jacob, you will have, you will be the, and Abraham, by the way, means father of a multitude. That's what the Abraham means, father of a multitude. And so he repeats that promise again to Jacob, I will make of you a company of people groups. And he's making that happen as part of the Abrahamic covenant when they leave. Okay? Now, just hop back to Revelation 5. We go from the opening of the covenant to the closing of the covenant. Then would somebody read Revelation 5, verse 9? But read it loudly. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Okay. Now, who purchased? Jesus. Jesus. How did he purchase? With his blood. Whom did he purchase? Say it, Jeff. People from every tribe and language, people and From how many tribes, people? Every. Every. And to emphasize the point, God says every tribe, and that in the word there actually means tribe, every tongue from which we get, it's the Greek word for tongue, glossia, from which we get glossary, every people, uh, and that is language group, and every nation, that is the Greek word ethnos, from which we get ethnic. So, God is making sure that we understand this. This is the same 
covenant he made with Abraham, reinforced with Isaac, and then again with Jacob, and passed down through the family. That in you, all families of the earth will be blessed. And so here we are at the end, and representatives from every tribe, from every language group, from every people group, do you getting the point? Are going to worship before the throne of God. So if you can picture, for example, the opening ceremony of the Olympics, when the nations come in their national garb, they carry the Olympic flag and their national flag, and they parade through. Imagine now, before the throne of God, representatives from every people group, from every language group, from every ethnicity throughout all time will have a representative before Jesus Christ. So there is power, there is power in the word of God anyway. But when you are willing to step out into cross cultural ministry and that means simply I don't, let me take away the fancy word witness to somebody who doesn't look like you alright take a risk witness to something there is a special anointing in us because this is the heart of God that we won't just witness to people who look like us so there is an encouragement to you and a challenge to you that the unlikeliest people, people with whom you, you will think you, there's no way you can relate to that person because he's got baggy pants and you know that knit cap pulled down tight or whatever. Or I say to an African American kid, he, you know, he's got a Brooks Brothers suit on or something, you know and a surfboard under one arm and you got a boom by. So that's the person you should go witness to. Because the first thing that will come to my, their mind is, why would you talk to me? None of your other people talk to me. What makes you different? So I hope that's an encouragement. That, that is the plan of God. You understand? Because that's the promise he made to Abraham and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And you know that you are fitting right into that if you step out of your comfort zone and witness to somebody who doesn't look like you or from another language group or from another people group. You with me? Any questions about that before we go on or things you want to share or feedback? Nope, I want to make sure I'm not. Has anybody here ever witnessed to somebody who does not look like them? Share that with us, Roger. Actually, the first person, we have a church planning in Strongsville. The first person that found Christ was an African American, our neighbor. Wow. Share what happened. What did you do? Well, when we got there, we had just moved in two years ago this summer. He and his wife were having some struggles and that kind of opened the door. And um, then they just opened the door and she had left him. And uh, just, uh, just started talking to him. He started opening up and, and uh, I asked him one night if I could just pray for him. And so I prayed with him. And uh, especially about his children. He, with mom, 
he has older children, but they were not communicating. And he, he desperately wanted to talk to his kids. And uh, so we prayed about the children especially. And uh, within a week, his son came back. And he comes over to our house one morning. It was like 6.30 in the morning. The doorbell rang. And he goes, I just want to tell you that prayer worked. You know? And uh, then he got really ill around Christmas time and almost died. And it was in the hospital. He accepted the Lord. We were in our uh, fifth Bible study book together. Roger, that is, does that encourage you? It really encourages me when I hear that. Share your experience. Um, this wasn't in the workplace, but a few uh, families uh, started a, a group we started called Family Missions. And uh, we had the opportunity to go to uh, Bahamas and help a uh, missionary who was uh, doing some work building up uh, place to share the word. We just needed some work done around the place. And uh, we happened to bump into, um, for lack of a better word, uh, Boy Scouts type of thing, and they're Bahamians. And the problem uh, that the Bahamas face is not lack of churches. There's a church on every corner. It's lack of uh, understanding and, and the word of God. And a lot of the young men, uh, uh, the pro illegitimacy rate is probably close to 80 or 90 percent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they just don't see the male role models. We went down there some families and just had an opportunity to work alongside. We invited these guys, hey, why don't you work with us? And of course the leaders really encouraged it. So here we're working with a bunch of Bahamians, which is supposed to be the same language, but <laughs> we couldn't understand it. <laughs> so, but what a blessing it was because they saw me inter inter interact with my, uh, with my family. And, uh, you know, and we got to talking. And of course they found out I was an engineer, so we had to go to the swamp and build a bridge. And not many people wanted to do that, so I got to share share my lifestyle and talk, and and it was very natural to talk about your relationship with Christ with these young men. Consequently, um, we're going to go on another missions trip to Mexico, and uh, some of those guys uh, have just taken on leadership roles in that <coughs> boys brigade, I think is what it's called, really taking a stronger stand for Christ and becoming leaders, young men, young adults now, and uh, they want to do they want to do missions work. You know, so there's a chance you might have some Bahamians, some kids from suburbia, families from uh, suburbia, Michigan, down in the um, the hills of Mexico, which will be a quite a cross-cultural. And mm -hmm. doing truly, you're building houses for people that don't have houses, mm -hmm. kind of like South Africa, mm -hmm. and uh, you get people's attention there. Why the heck are you here? And mm -hmm. then, so it's been a blessing, but right. quite cross-cultural. Jeff, I was first starting out doing youth work really early on and uh, we went on a mission trip down to inner city Houston was when I was in Texas at the time. I had never seen anything even remotely like that at all in my life and uh, it was a <laughs> first it was an eye-opening experience for everyone who went because we were all from the Dallas Fort Worth area and so we were all you know uh, Texas kids and <laughs> white red kind of stuff and we went down there and, and it was the really uh, really deep Hispanic part of, of Houston and uh, 
we did uh, backyard Bible studies in a couple of the different mm. housing projects down there. The parents were just amazed mm. that these kids who they'd never even met before would go down there and and, uh, and spend time with their kids mm. and uh, and witness to them. And we had we were down there for a week and a half to two weeks, and we had 16 kids in those projects come to Christ. And just you know, one of those things that. That's one of the first ministry experiences that I ever had, and it was amazing to do that. Great. Thanks, Jeff. Well, Bill, I... Uh, yes. I have to add to the story a little bit. Please. My, my son uh, just saw uh, one of his best friends come to Christ Sunday night, and he's, he's Afro-American. Mm. Uh, they went to... He took him... But Jeff took the youth group from the church, our small youth group, to the Josh McDowell. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. and uh, Tyler invited Kenny to play football with him in Strongsville. And Kenny looked at Ty on Sunday night and said, Would you get on the front with me? I want to accept the Lord. Goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. I just have to feel like, you know, maybe my son watched his dad. Exactly. Wow. wow. I just thought of that when we were wow. sharing it. Um. Let me uh, share one other concept with you. You are not sharing Christianity. This is never more apparent than if you go to a developing country. Because Christianity is racism, it's imperialism, uh, it's uh, sexual perversity, it's this crass materialism, it's women whose were immodest dressed, that's, it's violence. And when, when you go to Eastern countries or, or Eastern European countries, African countries, that's what Christianity is to them. And they, who wants to hear that? You understand? They don't want to hear that. But they are desperate to hear about Jesus. And it's, it's a big difference. They have no desire to be Baptists or Catholics or they don't want any of that stuff. But they want to hear about Jesus. I'd like to tell you one true story from the mission field. And How does this relate to workplace? Because it's the same stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to encourage you to take risks for God, understanding that at times, and we are lucky, at times we may be rebuffed, but generally speaking, it's fairly unusual to get a strongly negative reaction. And it's just our sensitivity that makes it an issue. And even then, we don't know what God is doing beneath the surface. Okay. Um, a young white missionary is in one of the stand countries. Afghanistan, Tajikistan, I can't remember. I just call it one of the stand countries. And it's at a moment where they're in some really armed conflict. He's got a Volkswagen van, and it's illegal to pass out Bibles, and it's illegal to teach Christianity. Well, he understands the difference between Jesus and Christianity. Uh, And they don't call it uh, the Bible, by the way. They call it the Book of Life. Okay. And uh, God wakes him up and says, I want you to put all your Bibles in the van. 
and he knows that can't be from the Lord because he distributes these Bible, but Bibles but he may take four or five at a time and hide them in different parts of his van. If, if he puts in all the Bibles he has and if he's stopped by a police, it is obvious. <laughs> they won't have to go looking for the Bibles. But he prays, yes, it's very clear. God wants him to put every Bible he has in the van. So he does that. What now? God wants him to drive this particular road and go in a particular direction toward the mountains. Now this is crazy because that's exactly where the guards are posted to prevent people from going across the mountain fleeing this particular country. So to go, this is a death trap. But this could not be from the Lord. You pray, yes, it, it's from God. Go. It's about one or two in the morning. He's driving. He knows he's going to die. He just knows he's going to die. And his car conks out and up on the mountain is silhouetted one of the guards, one of the soldiers with those um, MK-47s type guns and he is afraid to start the motor because now the start sound will certainly in that night with the mountains echo and he'll be caught, he can't push it, it's too heavy and he's praying, God start my car start my car and instead he sees one of the soldiers has now noticed him and is working his way down the mountain oh God have mercy God save me God save me and the guard comes up to him with his rifle and he says to this young man are you the one who has brought us the book of life it takes him a while to get Yes. And he makes a call, some prearranged signal, and out of nowhere all these guards come, one at a time, just coming out of the mountains, and they each take a Bible until there are none left. And after all the Bibles are gone, this guy is shaking, first with fear and then with excitement, gets in the van and it starts right up. See, Christianity has two things that no, at least two things that no other religion on earth has. And one is a loving God who frees them from the penalty for, for sin and the attraction of sin. That they are loved by God. No other religion offers them God's love and freedom from punishment and sin. And the other thing that no other religion offers is fellowship. I remember reading in the Wall Street Journal on the very front page, you know what his job was? To find them a friend. That was his job. They paid 50, somebody that they could go hunting with, somebody they could go on a fishing trip with, a friend. You know, we live in such a performance-based world. Especially now, I, I, think this is, I think this is just part of the sign of the end times. I, I just one more among many indicators. Perform for me or get out of my way. And the idea that you are committed to my welfare, not because of who I am, because I can change, I can be a real jerk one day, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done. I tell you, one of the restraints against me sinning 
is the fear of being disfellowshipped by the men I have grown to love. I, I, I love fellowship. And I'm a loner. I'm not a, I'm gregarious, but I'm a loner. And the idea that I would sin and my brothers in order to bring me back to Christ would disfellowship me, refuse to associate with me, I can't risk that. And so in every culture, I don't care where you go, they long for love that is unconditional and they long for fellowship. I don't care whether it's the roughest, you can't tell what the elect look like. They can look like the, and be, they can look like and be the worst, most obnoxious, violent, or insensitive person, but they are chosen by God to be saved. And we don't know what they look like. But for such people, there is a hunger to be loved unconditionally and a hunger for fellowship. And that's what, that's what Jesus offers through his church. It, it has a phenomenal power to be able to tell a guy, I don't care how much money you have, I just want to be your friend. Uh-huh. So in terms of workplace evangelism, the, the most isolated person is also the most powerful person. Because the only people he encounters are those who want something from him or her. There is nobody there who wants to minister to him and is concerned about his best interests. They got an agenda. I remember hearing Governor Thompson from Minnesota speak, and at the time he was the head of, uh, excuse me, he was uh, the head of the uh, head of uh, commerce or some some really powerful Senate committee, and this one senator has been just desperate to meet one of them and was calling and making appointments and calling. So, and Governor Thompson wasn't trying to put him off. It's just his schedule was so tough. And finally he was able to make an appointment and this guy was coming over in his chauffeur-driven limousine to meet with Senator Thompson and heard on the radio that Senator Thompson had just resigned uh, from, the Senate com- from the Senate committee in the Senate and wouldn't be running again and his term would be up in a couple of months. And the guy told his chauffeur, turned around, didn't even show up for the appointment. Because the senator couldn't do anything for him anymore. So people out there from the top level executive to the, to the bottom guy in, on the janitor staff, they want to be loved and they want fellowship. And too many times we think the only person we can have a relationship with is a person of our own racial group or a person of our own professional or socioeconomic status. That somehow we can't minister to a guy who makes triple the money that we make. Or we can't witness to the guy and have fellowship with the guy who makes a tenth of what we make. Where does that come from? That's not from the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? So reactions or thoughts or experiences along those lines you'd like to share. Yes, Dave. How do you minister to people that are in the corner begging for money to go about your daily business in San Diego? What do you do then? Well, we, I, it is rare. Now, this is me personally, and I'm not telling you 
again, there are no formulas. You have to walk with the Spirit of God. Unless the Spirit of God prompts me otherwise, I give the money to a charity that is designed to help the homeless. I do not give it to them personally unless I am strongly prompted by the Spirit. Do you stop and talk to them or ignore them? Sometimes. Sometimes. And I'm not saying that that's right. But I tell you, once I gave this, uh, I, you know, I was torn to give this guy somebody who was begging. He was right there in front of me at McDonald's. He said, I just need, I just need $3 for a Big Mac, you know, something like that. So I gave him five. He laughed, took the money, and ran down the way. <laughs> You know, I didn't lose. You understand? I did what I did for Christ's sake. Five dollars is no big deal. Now, I learned from that. But I did not lose because I did it for Christ's sake. And so he went off the street laughing. Uh, And I learned something from it, but I didn't say, don't. I just said, okay, I understand. Mm -hmm. Tito. I get one better than that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going into a, a burger king. And uh, this guy approached me, you know. And he asked me, hey, you, you know, give me something. I said, come on, man, I'll buy you a little And he, right away, he turned around and started cussing at me. I said, man, I'm going to beat you. What else do you want? <laughs> you know, I said, well, thanks. God bless you. And I walk in and got my car and went out. And then as I came out, he was confronting someone else. So actually you got to be watching. You know, also it all depends also on where you go and where this, you know, person kinda confronts you at too. Because that might be just a, a setup. So it's the same way this guy, you know, maybe he was hoping I would you know, and now this is I'm in uniform, full uniform, he approached me. And I, you know, I offered to buy a meal for him, and then he's going to turn around. And so, you know, he was not in too uh, good stage of mind. Okay. Uh, so you got to watch yourself, you know, buy him. You know, if he asks you for something, could you open it for me? Could you open it for That's my best, you know. Yes. I don't want to. I want to share something that I found has been a blessing in the workplace. Um, as I mentioned, after we went on these uh, a mission trip basically with our family, and it's common, you know, I work for GM and they have a shutdown in the summer where everybody takes it. And uh, the big thing when you get back, you know, where'd you go? Yeah, everybody did something. Mm-hmm. Well, our family just the last few years has gotten in the habit of, uh, we go to Reynosa, Mexico, we just help out missionaries. This is just what we do. And so it's natural. They go, well, where do you go? So I go to Mexico. Oh, Cancun, you know, uh, you know. No, no. When actually, and the the discussions that gets prompted by that, they go, why did you go? And I said, well, because I can. You know, and you you share a little bit. It's very uh, non-confrontational. If they want to walk away, they can. But I can't tell you how many times that people come back and say, you know, no. You know, they ask questions about Jesus. You know, and, and it's in a way where I feel like. This is why I'm here. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. in the earlier discussion, why am mm-hmm. I here at work? Why am I here? And it just comes in a natural way where I haven't become Billy Graham because I'm not Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. I'm Kyle, the engineer, who who believes and follows Jesus, and it's just been a very comfortable way. Mm-hmm. That would not have come up had I not been doing something out of the ordinary. You know, why are you giving up two weeks of your vacation for nothing? Like, yeah. 
you don't get it. You know, I'm getting this, these are the best times I've ever had. They, they just don't get it. Wait a minute. You know, so I, I just want to show that with uh, not that I'm a, you know, I have trouble work evangelizing in the workplace, you know, confronting people. Uh, and I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to do, but this has just been a blessing. Great. Thank you. Dave Zabel? Yeah. Uh, and I then have Jeff. A question in a, in a different vein. So if you, oh, then did you have a comment to make no, in that area? Okay, what can we do, Dave, and yeah. then your question? Okay. My, yes. Mine deals with um, there, there are guys, I, I've been in the job I'm, I'm at now for 23 years. So I've been there for a while. And uh, uh, most of the guys that are in the office that, that I have have been there for a while also. And so I've had opportunities to to share Christ with them, go to lunch, we'll talk. And most of them are, that's okay for you. We're glad that you're a believer, and if that helps you, that's fine, but it's just not for me. And sometimes I feel that I'm at a loss for what to do next. It's not like I like I, I don't talk to them, or I don't reach out to them, but there's, there's not much more that I feel I can say. It's more just, at that point, I don't know, is it, do I just keep on keeping on with what I'm doing, or? or I don't know where to go next week. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I would encourage you to do. Uh, and, and Bill, in, in my heart, I feel for him, you know. Pray for them. Pick, pick, you know, I don't know what your prayer life is like. Pick, zero in on one or two guys or three or four, you know, whatever, and go to war on their behalf. And you may not be the one who winds up getting to invite them to dinner or lunch to share the gospel. But but the point is, you pray for their salvation and see what, what God will do. Uh, I heard of a guy, he does this, a wonderful little thing, and my, I was just praying about this the other day, and I said, I'm going to do this. He just in, has a dinner at his house. He doesn't invite, he may invite one believing couple, but that's all. He, he invites clear unbelievers. And he makes a very nice invitation. And he says, uh, we cordially invite you. And it's done really nice. And he's kind of upscale. So you do things according to Yon. He, he's a, a fairly affluent. So he gets a real, real nice card. has it mails. So I invite you to our home for a special dinner. And a presentation about... Uh, by John Doe, who will, who will share his spiritual journey. And they will have a nice sit-down dinner, I mean, really nice. Then they will retire. He will introduce no, not, nothing preachy or religious about it. This is John Doe. He's a friend of mine. He's a banker. And he's going to talk about his spiritual journey. He gets up there, and, and they stay away from all church language, you know, that kind of stuff. And for about 20, 25 minutes, he'll talk about his spiritual journey. They'll end, they'll have dessert, boom. I say, you know, doggone it, this summer, I'm going to do that. I like that. Um, I, I like lifestyle evangelism, but that's not enough. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to be critical of anyone, but it can be, if not necessarily is, it can be a cop-out. Yes, we have to live in a way that that causes people to ask for the hope that is within us. Uh, but we witness by opening our mouths. And, you know, maybe you do it in a note, but the idea is you proclaim Jesus in some form. 
And now clearly, if you have a dissolute lifestyle, you have no credibility for your witness. But lifestyle evangelism is not enough, because I tell you, there are unbelievers who are very nice people, who I look at them and I say, man, that, that's a person of real integrity. I, I love his relationship with his family. You know, I admire them. I, I, I want some of that person's traits. So it's just, lifestyle evangelism is not enough. It is a basis for credibility. We have to open our mouths and bear the risk. Well, outside of Perth, that's exactly what is where I'm, I'm at with these these guys. Because, yeah, they've, they've been to most of them CBMC lunches. They've heard a guy give his testimony. I've followed up with them. We've gone through Question these hard. You know, and, and they just don't believe it. I know it's God's deal. I, I can't make them believe it. I want to grab them by the face and say, you'll get this. But it doesn't. Bless your heart. It just doesn't work. And, and, and so, so what other words, you know, that's, and I, I just got to. I don't know. We feel, we feel the same way. I'm going to cover this up. But I, I really don't want this one. We have taken them to luncheons and dinners and we've witnessed and we've prayed and. They show no sign of being any closer. But you know, we just trust that to Jesus. And, and hopefully, you know, we don't want to go over there for Thanksgiving. Because we want fellowship. Not turkey. We want to get around with a group of saints and we want to talk about what God has done. And you get over there and they don't want to hear about that stuff. I go around the table and say, let's have everybody say something they're thankful for this year. Nah. Yeah, you know, I, and uh, there, there's Bill again. Well, you know, I, I, frankly, I want to be, I want to be around some people. When you ask them that, they go, "Oh man, yeah, let me tell you what God did." I want to hear that. I want to get encouraged by that. So, um, but you know, we just, you just keep praying. You say, "God, what do I do next?" Who knows? But I, but bless you. You are, you are laboring, and again, you are watering and you are planting. And I tell you what I told one person, I said, you know, I feel so conflicted. They said, why? I said, you know, I'm either your best friend or your worst enemy. Well, well, why? He said, because I have shared with you Jesus Christ and you have not received him. You will have no excuse when you stand before God as to why you did not receive him. And I tell you, I'm conflicted about that. I tell you, in one occasion, it got the, I could tell those words had an impact. But I was speaking honestly. It wasn't a line. I was really conflicted. Because when you share the gospel, you set that person up for salvation or for a, a huge fall if they never received Jesus. But again, you leave that to Jesus Christ. Tito. You know, what I found out is that the more you hammer, the more you push them person away. Why I have been doing this, I just had my list, you know, spill, tell them about, you know, you know, about Christ, and then, you know, so we tell them, look, I love you guys, but it's your decision. I'm trying to see to it that you're there with me. The judgment. You want to receive it? If you want, you know, something you know, I mean, I want you to do it. You know, what I would do is for you to. And it has to come from your heart. 
Mm-hmm. You had mm-hmm. You had to confess. The confession has come from you now. And I won't wait if it does. If it does. If it does. Just like the Bible says, all you have to do is plant the seed. Okay? Cultivate the ground. You put it down on the ground. You cover up. Then after that, you walk away. And hope that God takes it and makes it grow. See, that's, that's you know, like another thing that not to maybe go back to the job place. My profession completely has a big and old, you know, you can't, okay, uh, law enforcement, mm-hmm. that's the number. They don't want you to, you know, okay, doing your work job, you know, doing your don't that's that could be that that could that could be an end to a to a, a career very quick. Uh, you can't witness to a member of the public or to one of your colleagues. In fact, <coughs> I have witnessed to members of, uh, of the public, but I have done it in a way that I, you know, just by, you know, an incident happened or something, I just say, you know, maybe feel, you know, feel for you, you know, but uh, there's a turn to your, you know, to your dilemma here, you know. Mm. It's just like, you know, things happen, I just say. Hey, Christ came to this earth, and no one would be. Don't be shy away from it. And I'll, you know, start from that. See, and they want to listen, you know. They, they're there listening, you know. They can't, I mean, all they have to do is say, I don't want to hear about it, you know. And then I freeze. But that's how I approached, you know. I don't mm-hmm. completely come out and say, mm-hmm. hey, mm-hmm. let's talk about this and mm-hmm. that. I start, I mean, I kind of come the back way, and then if they want to listen, then I go in and spoke. You know, then I just go ahead and go into my little spill. And after I do my little spill, I walk away. A lot of them come back later on and say, hey, look, you know, they read in the the Bible and say, well, if they say that to me, I say, say, well, listen, read the Bible alone is not good. You have to open up. You have to confess, Mm. you know, your mind has set Christ into your heart. And then keep reading the Bible. Go somewhere where you, you know, where you could go ahead and uh, have a fellowship with others that will help you. Mm-hmm. The rest of the way. That's, you know, the only way I could do it, you know, and still be in safe grounds. Great. You know, some of the most effective evangelists are young kids and teenagers. You're right. My 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 daughter will witness to her grandparents. She's so winsome in her personality and so innocent. They can't rebuke her, and she you know she just can't. She said, "Well, you want to pray about that to Jesus?" And they go, oh, but, 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 "Well, you don't don't you know Jesus?" I mean, and they can't, they can't shut her up. And and teenagers can witness to grandparents and and uh, adults sometimes with much more impact than we can because they're going, a teenager's talking to me? I'm just, it's Michael, right? Anyway. You said that quick question. Oh, yes, Jeff, I'm sorry. My job is uh, I do loss prevention for Sam's Club, which is do shoplifter surveillance and I do employee theft investigations and shrinkage control, all this kind of stuff. And uh, 
it hasn't come to a, a, an issue yet, but I know I know it's going to in the future here. Where uh, how can I show you know God's love and uh, and understanding and, and message when I'm coming down on someone hard about whether it's stealing from a store or whether it's an employee stealing and I, I'm struggling with that in my mind right now, trying to figure out how I'm going to do it when it happens. Might be, might be just worrying, but I, mean, I don't know. Can I give you one example and one comment? Young lady at my office comes in, she's a nice young lady, and she says, and she's really nervous, because uh, I'm a partner in this firm, you know, so she's my employee. She said, may I close the door? I said, well, sure. And she said, I have to confess something to you. She said, one of these, one day I came by your office and I needed some money and I took $20 out of your wallet. And uh, I'm here to give it back to you and I want you to forgive me. And, and I know you've got to turn me in and I know I'm, uh, I'm probably going to lose. And she, was, she wasn't trying to manipulate me because I didn't know any. I, I, I thought, you know, I'm so forgetful of one, you know, one of these days I thought he had $20, well, I don't know what happened to her, so. And I, and I said, I said, well, I want you to know, I forgive you. And I want you to keep the $20 if you recognize that you don't deserve it. She says, I know. I said, well, that's what grace is. Can I just share with you a little bit about what grace is? You know, it's an opportunity. Now, we have... Uh, a slight misunderstanding, I think, scripturally of love in the Bible. Uh, when you and I think of Christian love, if you're like me, the first thought is emotion. Emotion. And that the real word that we think of is deep affection. But it's not used that way in the Bible. It is an act of will. That's why the phrase, you fall in love, you fall all in love, it, God set his love upon us. In other words, he purposed to love us regardless of what we do. Do you understand? Uh, and so we, we get, we get this, this sense that it has to be an emotional thing. Yes, emotion is tied to it, but it's not the driver. The driver is a conscious act of will. I, I will love my wife. Now, I have affection for her, I have passion, but I, I set my will upon it for Christ's sake. All right, so the reason I say that is so we think there's a conflict between love and uh, punishment or chastisement. And it teaches us in um, Hebrews... You have, okay, Hebrews 12, uh, starting at verse 5, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom he loves, for those whom the Lord loves, he what? Disciplines. And what? Scourges every son whom he receives. And in Proverbs, I can't remember which one it is. Um, uh, 
but, but uh, let me paraphrase it for you and ask you to look it up in your concordance. But, but, but it says, uh, the father who does not discipline his son hates him. Hates him. In the Bible, God associates discipline with love. And whenever he punishes it, it's for the purpose of restoration. It's never for the purpose, it's never punitive for his son. Alright? And if he despises you, he will let you go unpunished until judgment. That's when you know, when I see a guy who's terribly sinning and he's not being punished, I worry. I said, I'm wondering, wow, what is, is God against him? Okay. Now we tend to take that thing that's true for the church and overlay it in the secular realm. The secular realm wants to improve, but frankly, the secular realm punishes. The secular realm cannot restore. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can, but the Bible says, honor all men. First Peter. Honor all men. And it doesn't say honor all religious men. Honor all men who don't pilfer. Honor all men. If you catch somebody in the act of stealing, you have to treat them um, with, with respect. You cannot belittle them. Remember, um, I'm trying to, Second uh, Corinthians five ten. I want to say we are going to be judged for every careless word that comes out of our mouths. Careless. Uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, uh, "You say thou shalt not commit murder, and I say to you, if you call any man a fool without cause." It's, it's like murder. Now, that would cause me to be extremely careful in the language I use with people. So you don't have to soft pedal the fact that they've stolen. You don't have to make it seem like it's no big deal. It's a big deal. But you still have to treat them with respect, and you have to be firm about it. You're going to say, you're going to jail right now. But you don't have to grab them. And, you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah. But, yeah, it's going to happen. Okay. Tito. You know, I have been in the in profession for about 31 years. It's how you treat people. Okay, just like they'll say, you know, the little, you know, you want to let them know that the act that they committed is an act that is, you know, it's not going to be, it's not power, it's not the right thing to do. And you can use that as a method. You know, just by being kind to it and then. You You know, the first few people that came out, you know, I said, well, hey, I'm not going to meet with this guy. 
out there talking. If you haven't come in the office, you know, you might want to do your arm, you know. Yeah. I don't, but you know, the majority of them came back to thanks, to, you know, to really, you know, shake our hand and uh, say, hey, look, you completely determined. And, and you know what I, I want to say is, hey, our way of treating the people, the individuals, perhaps has something to do with having that turn around and become productive individuals. Great insight, Tito. Thanks for sharing that right out of your life experience. I think we have to bring this to a close. I got the cut sign, and they are serious about it. My neck is on the block, you know. I'm serious about that. Well, you guys have been great. I, I, I'm sure I got more out of it than you did, and for that I apologize. But I, I thank you for coming. I hope it was productive. Now let's get out of here. <laughs>